From the Journalism and Mass Communication studios on the campus of Bob Jones University, it's the BJU Alumni Relations Podcast. Season 2, We Mean Business, with your hosts, David Burrell and Jay Du. All right, David, we are here and we're interviewing a couple an alum couple. That was last season. You remember all that? Yeah. But we're not here to talk about love. We're here to talk about chocolate on this episode, my friend. And so we have got the Lumino Chocolate Company. And uh, right now, you can't even see us, ladies and gentlemen, but we have several different chocolate chocolate bars in front of us yeah. before we get into this conversation. All right. Here. What's yours say? Okay. So I am a 45% milk chocolate type okay. of guy from the Congo. And oh, I've got, yeah, I've got 68% dark chocolate from the Philippines. You're going to hear in this episode, they talk about the chocolate beans. They sent us a bag here. I don't know if you want to look through there and see. You want to handle every one of those beans like they're about to for us? So the, like not only is this packaging just beautiful, it's very minimalist, it's gorgeous. Um, it would definitely stand out if I saw it on the shelf. I'm... Oh, wow. It smells actually pretty good. Let me let me get a smell on yours. Oh, yeah. It smells dark. So there's a there's a kit here. If you order this kit... Oh, see, they ask you. Yes, you what questions. smell do you smell in the chocolate? Can you identify flavors? And do you have any impressions? What? I don't want to work that They hard. also have a... Uh, I just want to... There's a, I, there's I a wheel just, of chocolate... And it's not a chocolate wheel. I should put, put the point that out. It's it's a guide, kind of like um, I don't know what to compare that to. Okay, I'm going in for my first bite here, David. We got the 45 percent Lumino milk chocolate. Mm, yeah, this is good. It is. This is a good chocolate. How does it compare to just anything here. off the shelf? Let me take a well, look. Well, I mean, you can tell that it's gourmet chocolate. Okay. But I mean, I have a hint of I like a traditional milk chocolate Hershey bar. Yeah. This is thicker. All right, go for your dark chocolate. Hold on. How do you clean the palate of chocolate before you move on? I you took, need a... I took um, like a yeah. extra... I took an extra bite. They, they, this is a really cool kit. This kit was uh, very affordable. I think it was like $40 for five chocolate bars and this tasting... Uh, yeah, just what's like, this wheel about? The, yeah, there's a wheel. Well, um, um, I think at this point, yeah. our audience is ready for us to get into the conversation that we had... With Ben and Becca, and have this great um, backstory of how they came from culinary arts. Yep, and a program here at BJU into their chocolate business. Why don't we get into it now? Well, my name is Ben Snyder. Um, this is my wife Becca. Uh, we are the owners of Luminu Chocolate. So we are 2011 grads from Bob Jones from the culinary arts program. Um, and we started our chocolate company in March of 2020. So a couple of weeks before COVID hit, it was a uh, perfect timing. The Luminary Chocolate is a small batch bean to bar craft chocolate company. We focus on unique varieties of beans as well as unique flavor pairs. So we try to keep things interesting with the chocolate. Yeah. Very good. So my first question is, what in the world do beans have to do with chocolate candy bars? I don't know. So break it down for me, assuming that I didn't graduate with a great liberal arts degree from Bob Jones. So explain how the beans make it into chocolate bars. So the cocoa bean grows on a cacao tree. It's actually considered a fruit. So the farmers go in and they harvest the fruit off the trees. It grows. So they grow in these pods. They're about the size of a football. They grow directly on the trunk and the branches. So it looks really funny when you look at them, but the farmers will go in and harvest them. The 
beans that we use are actually seeds. So like an orange segment, if you open an orange, each segment has a seed in it. That's kind of the same thing. So the beans, you can't eat them raw. So you have to ferment them to remove any toxicity. Um, and then you have to dry them to seal in the flavors and make them shippable. And then we get them in 140 pound bags and we go through and we sort through them, try to pick out any rocks, sticks, debris that kind of gets picked up along the way, as well as any beans that have kind of split open. They can burn when we roast them and any beans that have had bugs eat out the inside. Um, so we literally touch every single cocoa bean that we use. And then after sorting, we roast them. So it's a similar process to coffee, except longer. You roast each bean depending on the flavor profile that you're going for. And then you have to remove the shell. And then it goes into special machines that grind it into a liquid. Um, so it's kind of a long process but that's the short version. <laughs> no, hold on. I have so many questions. First off, there's a seed in every segment of an orange. Where do we, hold on. So like <laughs> in, in an actual like navel orange. Yes. I mean, they used to, not anymore because they've been, you know, cultivated to be seedless or whatever, but they used to have a seed in every segment. They would. So yeah, <laughs> they did. They did. They would. They would take our seeds away from us. I didn't even I mean, know. they do it with watermelons. They do it with everything. Take you the seeds trust, off. You can't trust anything. Okay, <laughs> so hold on. So every single, how many, like uh, you said, you get all these um, beans and you yeah. really have to handle every single bean to get it through the process. So how many beans like make up, how many beans does it take to have a, a, a chocolate bar? It depends. Okay. I mean, it, it depends on if it's a dark chocolate or if it's milk chocolate. Hold on. So I'm a milk chocolate guy. I'm a white chocolate guy. Is that real chocolate? But I'm not dark chocolate. I'm going to save that. For later. I'm not dark chocolate. So explain to me milk chocolate first. So then, tell, me, tell me, what's the secret behind this milk? Is it, re is it really milk chocolate? What is it? Is it the same bean? And what do you do with it to make yeah. it? So it's, so it's the same bean. With milk chocolate, it has less cocoa. So I don't know if you've seen chocolate bars that have percentages on like 70% dark chocolate or like 50% dark chocolate uh, or milk chocolate. That percentage is the amount of cocoa in the chocolate. So our, we make, for our dark chocolates, our dark chocolates start at a 60%. So it has 60% cocoa up to an 80%. Um, we make milk chocolates, it has less cocoa. So we, our milk chocolates are a 45% and a 50%. So... That means it's 50% cocoa, which is cocoa butter and cocoa nibs, which are the inside of the cocoa bean. Um, and then the extra, so like a 50% bar, 50% is the cocoa, 50%, the other 50% is sugar and milk powder. Um, so we use a whole fat milk powder um, and we grind it up in our refiners. There's stone refiners, they use stone wheels that run on a stone base. So we throw all that stuff in the refiner and then it runs for two to three days constantly, just refining it, smoothing it out. And by the end of it, you have chocolate. Hold on. This is so complex here. How much does the chocolate bar cost? Because so far, if I had to do all this, each of my chocolate bars would be $32 a piece. <laughs> <laughs> Our bars are um, 8 to $10 each. Okay. 
All right. Well, I hope you're making profit out there. So give take me back to the culinary program at BJU. You guys went into that kind of together and you were both in the culinary program. Where'd you come? Why how did you knew you were hey, look, I'm Willy Wonka is my destiny. Like how'd you know? <laughs> yeah, um, for me, I started out working in restaurants um when I was in high school. So started working in restaurants, really loved cooking, wanted to go into culinary. Um, and at that time, Bob Jones was the only Christian school that had a culinary program. Um, and that's really what, what brought me to Bob Jones. Um, but yeah, Becca and I met in the culinary program. Um, when we were there, it was a three-year program. So we learned, um, it was a very thorough program. We learned uh, mostly savory foods, but we also learned pastry um, through several classes and um yeah I mean I just couldn't decide what to do with my life and I enjoyed cooking so I decided to go into culinary um and my sister had gone to Bob Jones so I was like oh that sounds pretty good they've got a culinary program well we'll just go there that sounds good um but pastry the pastry classes we had there were my favorite because that's baking and um pastries where I enjoy it's what I enjoy doing um yeah okay so one more question before we kind of have to advance through I know there's some specific questions this season we're asking all of our bosses and entrepreneurs but like I mean are you guys eating anything healthy at home right now (laughs) I'm just having I'm going for this 45 percent milk chocolate I think (laughs) you get really tired of eating chocolate Yes. So you have to limit the amount that you eat. Um, so we'll taste it at work. We will, you have to taste every batch that you make, all of the different test batches and everything. But um, we can't eat a lot of it. You have, to, <laughs> you have to, you know, kind of portion it out. Well, I can eat some today and some tomorrow, but I can't eat it all at once. It, it's yeah. fine. We got, we got uh, three kids. And so that's the number one question everyone always asks our kids is, are, do you just eat chocolate all the time at home? And yeah, they're always very disappointed to say that, no, we don't really have that much. <laughs> so where did you come up with the idea behind this? I know there's a mission behind mm-hmm. what you guys are planning to do here. So I want to hear a little bit about that and, and help yeah. us and where this is going. Cause my question is, did you, you know, did you show up in 2010 and say, or 2008 or whatever it was, I want to be a chocolatier or, cause there's been some time since you graduated and since between that and 2020. And so I was just curious to hear that. I'm glad Jeremiah asked, cause I was going to ask, how'd you get from, okay, now we have culinary degrees. Was it something in the process of learning the degree or was it something after, or, you know, is this a hobby? You're like, Hey, let's just roast beans for three days and see what happens. And then, you know, you ended up here. So. Yeah. Um, so after graduating Bob Jones, I worked at a number of different kitchens um, and restaurants and bakeries doing pastry. Um, so I was a pastry chef at a few places. I was a head baker at a few places and just really loved pastry. Um, Back in 2019, um, started really getting into chocolate, learning more about chocolate, how it was made, and decided to buy the couple of things that we needed to just start playing around with it. Um, it started off just a hobby. And um, <laughs> after that first batch of chocolate we made, it was like... It was a terrible batch of chocolate. It was 
It but was it, terrible, but it was better than anything you could buy in the store. Yeah. And it was just like a light bulb going off that, you know, it, it's, it was just really cool to us how much flavor you can get out of cocoa beans when they're carefully roasted and, and you're just very intentional about the whole process. So I would say within a few months of us starting to make chocolate for fun, we had decided to open up our, our company, Lumino Chocolate. Yeah. Now, so is the is it the same bean for, for like coffee? No, 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 no. A coffee bean is a lot smaller and it comes from a different plant. Of course it does. I apologize for endearing <laughs> this into a place of just ignorance. David. Oh, no, that's okay. Um, a lot of people are surprised to see the cocoa beans and they're about the size of an almond maybe a little bigger than an almond, but most people are surprised to see they don't expect them to be that big. They all expect them to look a lot more like coffee. Is, is it, is it, is it edible before you kind of do the refinement process? Can you eat them as is? Or? Um, you can, it's got a shell on it. So you just have to crack the shell. Um, it's best to roast them beforehand because, because they are fermented and they grow in a lot of rural places in Africa and Asia um, in Latin America, it, they can carry bacteria. So it's always best to roast them first, but you can eat them without refining them. You just crack that shell in your hands and you're left with, um, cocoa nibs, just the inside of the cocoa bean. It yeah. tastes a lot like chocolate and just without any sugar. So it's pretty right. bitter. Well, David, I feel like if I'm going to die of eating something crazy in the last two years since COVID, I might as well be some chocolate beans, you know? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> If you can look through some chocolate beans, I feel like, hey man, who needs the jab? You know what I'm saying? Like, I'll be good. I'll be good. So, but now tell me more about now. There's more of a mission, and I think an approach to where you guys are headed with this company, and where you want to move your family to long term. At least that's what I've heard. I don't know if that's just through the grapevine or the cocoa vine, but um. Yeah, there's more to it than this. And I think you, I'm assuming the name of your company has something to do with where you guys are headed. When we started the company, we started it with the goal of eventually expanding um, out of the U.S. into other countries. Um, we are looking to expand into Spain in the next year to southern Spain, close to Morocco, um, with the goal of just I mean, expanding there and using our, our company and our presence there um, really to be a light, to kind of live out our name, you know, the name Luminous, French for illuminate. Um, we want to be a light um, as, as Jesus calls us to be. Um, so our goal is to expand the company into Spain um, and possibly grow from there in the region into some areas where, um, where there aren't a lot of Christians. And um, just kind of use the influence we have there, the the presence, just being around people from other people groups, um, just to kind of shine God's light. Now, David, I'm no math major out here, and I didn't even take any type of foreign language. But if this is a French word, can you explain to me why they're moving to Spain? I don't <laughs> I don't know. I mean, you know, put another shrimp on the Barbie. We're all God's children here. But like, it seems like you're a country or two off. From so the, the original and, plan was France. The okay. original plan, we were looking at either France or Spain. Um, chocolate with the kind of presence it has in France. Uh, the French name seemed to fit. 
Um, and then God led us to Spain. So now we have a French name in Spain. Yeah. <laughs> but but our products really are French inspired. Um, and I mean, I'm, I'm trained a lot in um, French pastry. And so with our company, I mean, on top of it all, having a company with a French name tends to just kind of make people think a little bit more of quality and, um, you know, higher end products. So it's kind of where we got the name yeah. from. Yeah. Well, you, it, the, the, the key is whether you get your beans from South America, whether you went to school in the USA, whether you got a French name, whether you're headed to Spanish, chocolate is universal. It is. So it doesn't matter really. Uh, but I understand the mission now better. And I, I think that's pretty cool. So, um, yeah, I, I, I'm excited. I mean, I'm excited to try it, honestly. Like I, I'm, I'm, I, in fact, I was on the website tonight. My wife is pregnant and I'm looking at this dark chocolate bundle and I'm thinking maybe, uh, maybe this would be a good third trimester, uh, care package. Uh, <laughs> David, yeah. yeah. it's not for you. You don't get a no. third trimester. <laughs> you just, yeah. Sorry guys. He's, he thinks he just gets a pass on this. So, well, it, it's wonderful. So what do you think that the mission work will look like, uh, moving forward? Obviously I understand business, but I'm saying, it, uh, when, when you say, you know, uh, you were talking about a light in, in Southern Spain and things like that. So, you know, what, why, what does that look like? And what do you think that is? And have you guys had previous encounters with uh, the European culture there, or is this kind of a new frontier? Um, so I think a lot of the, what it'll look like is uh, you never realize how much of an impact your work life has on other people. Um, we got to, uh, witness another couple who is running um, a coffee shop the same way and just the way they interact with all of their employees a lot of their employees are nationals um, just the way they live out their daily work life how they respond to situations how they respond when problems come up you know it really says a lot about who that person is and how they uh, you know just how they handle problems, you know, if you're not constantly blowing up or, you know, freaking out over every little situation, but you have a calmness, you have a joy throughout your daily life. Um, it says a lot to other people about, you know, there's something different about that person because, you know, they have this just overarching calm joy peace about them. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And on top of that is work ethic. I mean, we're looking at, so we're looking at Southern Spain and, and some other places. And I mean, in a lot of countries around the world, a lot of areas, they're not known for their strong work ethic. Um, so I think just by going in and working really hard, doing your best to the glory of God, you do tend to stand out after a while. And people want to know why you're working so hard and why, um, why you're doing what you're doing. And it gives you openings to share um, where your joy comes from and, and why you are working so hard. Um, it just opens up conversations. And then especially in the culinary industry and in working in restaurants and places like that in, you know, chocolate, there tends to be really long hours where you're working side by side with the same people every day. You get to know those people really well, you get to know about their lives and they get to know about your life. And just through that day-to-day -day interaction, it opens up so many doors to um, just to share with them the gospel. 
is it safe to assume that if one bean burns that it ruins the batch or is that not a safe because you say you have to check to see if you guys a little leaven leaven it the whole lump we're going back here so david is you know he's ultra baptist he's trying to sneak that in (laughs) so i apologize that's what he's trying to do so (laughs) no but you even admitted that your first batch of chocolate wasn't the best batch that you felt like you could have made so how do you guys deal with failure if you've got um, you know, a, a, a shipment that doesn't t- turn out the way that you were hoping it to. It got, you know, it spoiled on the way over, got bugs in or something. What, how do you guys deal with failure, at least in the uh, in the concept here of Luminu? Yeah, I mean, this is one that was that is really a challenge for me. Um, I mean, we started our company right before COVID. And so even through COVID, there was time after time when things didn't work out the way we had planned or hoped. Um, we had failures come up. We had issues. And with starting a business, that business, if you're not careful, can really take over your life. And you can start to view it as your identity. Um, this was a huge issue for me. Um, and you start taking every failure personally. And you just get so wrapped up in it. Um, I mean, this is something I still challenge with. Ch- I, I still struggle with. But something that I've been reminding myself with time and time again is that my identity is not in my business. My identity is in Christ. The business is just, God has blessed us with this business and we are so lucky to be able to make chocolate every day, but this is not my life. I'm here for a purpose and for a a much greater purpose than making chocolate. You know, my identity is in Christ. I need to learn from the failure, but not let those failures define me because the business does not define me. Now, in an entrepreneurial profession that you guys are in as a couple, how hard, easy, how well do you guys work together? Everybody wants to know that. That's always the question behind the question. Tell us about the struggles or the triumphs of being able to like do it as a family and have the kids, you know, a part of it. I I don't know. I want to know. I mean, I think we balance each other out pretty well. He's much more into the details, very type A. And I am more of a, oh, you know, let's just do this. And I'm more of a go with the flow kind of person. He's more of a business mind and I'm more of a creative mind. So we tend to balance each other out really well. We worked together in the past, except but he was my boss. Then. So, you know, it, it kind of, kind of it was a little different. But while it has its struggles, because you obviously are two different personalities and you tend to clash on certain things like names and designs and flavor combinations, you know, all of this stuff, we do work together well. And I think if you're ever working as a couple, you have to realize that you know they don't think the same way you do and they're different than you. And you just have to allow for allow for that yeah hold on names names design and flavor combination i'm talking about when my wife is cooking dinner she doesn't let me in the kitchen that's what what i'm talking about yeah there's sometimes you know yeah one thing we've learned is that we really needed to set clear definitions of our needs you know so becca is our head of production you know while i love making chocolate and i've got a lot of experience in it becca is our head of production so if we if there's an issue with that i'm always going to 
defer to her in those situations. Whereas I kind of handle the business side. It's been useful setting those clear job descriptions. Yeah. Well, okay. So that leads me back to the first question I was going to ask is now what skills and mindsets or habits do you guys, have you found that it takes for you to either maybe one of you realized, Oh, you know, Becca has this inborn. This is how she's wired. Or, or maybe Becca, you said, I've got to develop this and, 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 you know, got to learn how to do this. So I'm curious to hear from you guys just in the, the past few years here, what you've learned in that area. For me, I've never been much of a problem solver. I tend to take a step back, but as soon as you get into business, you have to be a problem solver, no matter what area you're in, especially with launching right before COVID and having all of that, you had to constantly be figuring out new things and pivoting, changing, and, you know, using whatever creativity you have to kind of strategize changes that you're going to make. So the problem solving is definitely something I had to learn quickly. I'm still not very good at it. Um, That's more his strength than mine, but that I think you definitely, no matter what you do, you have to have a good work, work ethic. You have to I mean, a small business is time consuming and it, you know, you have to be willing to take the long hours and work hard the whole time and to really move it forward. And, you know, you have to be a little crazy. (laughs) There's just some craziness that's involved in it. And I have that in spades. And (laughs) so it works out. Yeah. For me, something that I've really had to learn is just getting better at adapting. You know, like Becca said, I'm very type A, you know, I plan everything out and want it to go a certain way and things happen. There's tons of things that happen that are outside of your control and just learning to adapt to things as they come, not let it really set you back, not let it knock you down, but just kind of rolling with the punches. That's great. That's great. I love it. We've heard from many business owners this season so far about just the different skills and, and habits that it takes. And I think, I think it does take a little bit of leaning into who you were made to be and a little bit of learning, uh, you know, an extra, especially as entrepreneurs, if you're doing it all yourself, you know, you've got to, you've got to learn some things that you're not necessarily great at for, for at least for a time. So I appreciate that. Here's my next question then. Who made the biggest impact on your life uh, while you were at BJU or or what is the most important thing you learned outside of the classroom? Obviously, you learned some very important things in the classroom because you're still using them. But um, was curious to know just about your experience on campus. I I didn't stalk you guys in my database. Like, did you guys come from far away to school or were you in the area already? Like, I'm always curious to know if people are are from out of state and, and how much because being from out of state really plays an impact on your experience in in the dorms and, you know, on campus and things. So, yeah. Uh, we're both from Pennsylvania. Okay. So I came from the Philadelphia side and he came from the Pittsburgh side. Okay. Okay. Yeah. And you, and you ended up together. So that worked out, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> so I think the person that probably made the biggest impact, we both ended up with the same answer without discussing it first. One of the chefs in the culinary program, his name was Rick Neckenecker. He really is like just the joy that he had on a daily basis, the positivity he had, even when things during classes or during labs were going terribly wrong. And, you know, there are kids crying because things aren't working out. And like, he was just always had such a joyful attitude and just had just a positive spirit. He was also very humble, just had a wealth of knowledge that he was willing to share. And he, he's somebody that we still talk to 
he's somebody that we still try to keep in touch with and keep updated. And he's really just made a big impact on us, showing us that, you know, the joy that comes from inside of you, it really makes a big impact on the people that are around you, no matter what the situation is. Yeah. I mean, we both had the same answer. I mean, Chef Niffenecker, he actually, when he was teaching about Jones, he actually owned a bakery up in New Jersey. And so his wife stayed up in New Jersey to run the bakery while he was down teaching every year. And going through that and still having the joy every day, um, even I'm sure he was struggling with that. It was just such a, a great example to me on the impact that it can really have just having this, this joy that just comes from, from Christ. That even when things are going really bad, having that joy really makes people start to notice because it's, it's different. You know, not everyone has it. I think if I was running a bakery, I'm such a bad cook and chef and baker. You know, I'd be happy too if I could leave my wife alone and let her do it without me. I think I would just, that's automatic. You know, second, here's my question in this class in chef. Now, I don't know his name. Say it for me again. Niffenecker. Niffenecker. In his class and the other culinary arts teachers that you had, hold on. I think my entire college experience would have been different. Could you eat in class? Could you eat? Yes. In See, that's what I knew it. I knew it. I'm so upset. I'm so we could, upset. We could eat in class. There was a massive coffee pot that we would just have quarts of coffee during classes, yeah. like all the time. It was amazing. Yeah, I should have been. See, I should have been in the pastry zone, David. I'm telling you, I was so hungry. That's why I could. It's easy to have joy in the middle of class if you have coffee <laughs> and pastries. I mean, that's not hard. Yeah. Jeremiah, is this a business that you would, you know, I, I'm always curious to know every time we, we've interviewed so many different types of business owners this season. Uh, you, there's only been one so far that you've turned down and that was our, our floral decorating uh, owner. <laughs> is this one you would be interested in roasting beans uh, and putting well, them in the mill? The thing is, I feel like you have to taste everything here and I love pastry. Okay. So baking over cooking for mm -hmm. sure me so the baking side of things are really interesting i love bakeries i love baked goods i love fruit flavored whatever so this is very interesting to me uh because i i mean i feel like i'm i'm just in there ready to i'm just ready to taste test things you know is is how i feel about this one but I still think I'll be very stressful with this. Like she said, you know, Becca was saying, you know, kids might be crying because they're stressed out. And I'm thinking that Gordon Ramsay's in here just knocking over dishes. <laughs> you know, and I'm like, I'm nervous. But if I can have like snacks in class, I feel like <laughs> such a different college experience. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. All right. So, so Ben and Becca, um, I work with a, a culinary grad on my team right now in alumni relations. So if, if she came to you guys tomorrow and she said, you know, I, I found a bean that I'm going to start uh, picking through and roasting. It's not a coffee bean. It's a chocolate bean. It's a brand new bean. Um, what is the first thing or the most important thing that you would say to that, to this graduate about, you know, they're going to start a business. What do they need to hear from you guys that you feel like is something that you say, Oh, I wish I'd known this. You know, one, everyone always says this, but market doing your market research is really important. You need to know your market and exactly who they are, what they want, and then create a product that is different. Um, that differentiation is huge. Uh, you need to 
know who your competitors are, everything about their products, and then why your product is better and somebody should choose your product over theirs. And just because the market space is open does not mean it is an easy in. Mm-hmm. Um, it usually means you have to do a lot more education. You have to mm-hmm. do a lot more talking before people will buy it. Yeah. For sure. And then the last thing I would say is if if you're doing a consumer good, then branding is everything. Branding is probably the best investment you can make going into that business. Because if your product, you can have the best product in the world. And if the packaging didn't look attractive, you'd still have a hard time selling. Yeah, because I feel like maybe I'm just older now, but I feel like when I was younger, if you wanted cheap chocolate, it was Hershey's. And if you wanted nice chocolate, it was Ghirardelli. But I feel like now especially with the with so many health food stores and that sort of thing. I feel like specialty chocolate is even more prevalent. So I'm sure you guys had to know about that. I'm sure that was what brought you into it. You were you were you were enjoying some specialty chocolate from time to time and then you're like, what if we just made it ourselves? So was that part of the market research, I guess is what you're talking about. Like I guess probably what Becca's saying, just because it's there doesn't mean it's gonna be an easy, easy in. Yeah, we definitely tried a lot of chocolate. But we ate a lot of chocolate <laughs> before getting into it. But, you know, we had to look at the companies that were closest to us and see what they're doing. And, you know, just trying to figure out why Greenville didn't have any chocolate yet. And then we started the company and realized, well, nobody here really knows a whole lot about it. They've been to some of these other companies, but they still don't know much about it. So it took a lot of educating people it still does still takes a lot of educating people to get them interested yeah yeah for sure i mean the craft chocolate industry in the u.s has exploded in the past 10 to 12 years i think it went like back in 2010 it went from you know maybe eight to ten really good companies to there's probably 350 craft chocolate companies in the U.S. now. It's really had a big boom. So, it, I mean, even in the past two years since we started, the industry was a lot more open two and a half years ago when we started than it is now. So, you know, what we kind of viewed as our differentiation back then isn't anymore. It's something we've kind of had to adapt and, and grow from because the market is growing so quickly. Cool. Well, thanks for answering that question. I realize it was a little bit little bit niche, but um, that's pretty cool. So as you guys mentioned, you have this mission and um, I'm curious to hear, we've been asking all of our guests so far this year, because the business space is a different space than the ministry space, but here you have figured out a way. It's neat. We just talked to someone earlier tonight who's also doing this with his business, using it for ministry, but um, has it ever been hard, you know, working in a kitchen or, or just uh, starting a business to admit that you graduated from Bob Jones or, you know, if you have had that hesitation, how did you work through it? Or if not, what would you, what would you say to someone who says, you know, it's, it's hard for me to admit this, or this is going to be a challenge for me if I try to do this business or do this you know, endeavor? So like, I have struggled with people, you know, they'll ask where you go to school. And when you're, when you say you graduated with a culinary degree, you, they expect a culinary school. So when you say you graduated from Bob Jones, they say, oh, I didn't even know they had a culinary program. So it was kind of a struggle because you want that credibility, especially in, you know, well, in whatever field you're in, you want the credibility behind you. But something that I've learned 
through all of this is that you have to be, you know, God gave you skills. He gave you talents to use and you have to be confident in those. But more importantly, the work that you do says so much more than the college you went to. Bob Jones gave us a lot of, you know, a lot of things, but your work says so much about who you are and what you do and how good at it, it is at what you do. So I think it's, you know, it's really important to not, you know, not hold on to, oh, well, I went to Bob Jones, you know, I think it's, you know, it's just, it's something that you embrace because you did go there and you obviously, like, you can't go back and change it. You went there. So it's something that, you know, you have to be confident in. You have to be confident in the education you got there, the teachers that spent all of their time pouring into you you know, training you how to do what it is that you're doing. And it's, it's just really important to be confident in that. Mm-hmm. After graduating, we worked for, I worked for a few years in Greenville for a few different places. And everyone in Greenville does have, you know, these preconceived notions about Bob Jones. You know, most of the time they are way overblown from how things actually are. So, you know, I did have some hesitations at times, you know, admitting that I went to Bob Jones. But like Beck was saying, People may think that right when you start, but as you work, if you have a good work ethic, if you are just really working hard, your skills and abilities and work ethic will speak for itself. And I, I, yeah, I just, I don't think it's not that big of an issue after, after you work a little while. I think it kind of helps change people's misconceptions about the school too. When they see, you know, they see that you work hard, you show up on time, you're you're skilled in what you do, you know, I think that helps to kind of change the narrative when it comes to where you went to school. Thanks again for listening to the BJU Alumni Relations Podcast. This is David Burrell, class of 2013, and I'm really excited to share these stories of alumni around the world as they continue the mission of BJU by learning, loving, and leading in their communities. For more information about stories like this that we'll be releasing over the coming months, email us, bjualums at gmail.com. We look forward to hearing from you.